This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. All right. Welcome, Dr. Blair Steele, to Habits You Love. So excited for you to jump on and share your time with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. So you seem very passionate about the calling on your life, what you do day in and day out. I always am very curious when I talk to people kind of of your caliber of how you got into this, and maybe not even the how, but the why for what you do, what you do. Is there a personal connection or is it just happenstance? Tell us a little bit more about you and your story. Yes, this is really who I am. It, it's, it's something I've been interested in my core. I can recall being in middle school and telling this one teacher, I wish I remembered his name, like, I want to be a psychologist. And he was like, you know, yeah. Like I could see that and totally validated that. So I, I have a passion for people. I love people. I've always had the dream of doing something I loved to do. And I really tried to get away from it, to be honest. You know, I grew up very middle class. The message was, you know, you have what you need, but if you want more, you have to work for it. So when I graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology and philosophy and saw a mountain of education ahead of me and and I was getting paid nothing to work with some severely some severe patients I would I moved to California I had my first job for a little while and then I was like no I'm not ready for all this I moved to California and found myself I was a teacher and found myself all about this one student I had with autism and was like okay let me just go ahead and do the grad school and I've been, I've stuck with it ever since. Wow. So would you say that one student was a little bit of the catalyst? To get me back into it. You know, yeah. I remember being really envious of my friends who were in graphic design or this or that or PR and could like live well and independently with their bachelor's degree. And I was like, not only am I not going to be there for a decade, I'm going to be in a tremendous amount of debt. <laughs> So those reasons I wanted to get away from, but I just couldn't. You know, I almost went to law school and I promise you I would have not been a happy person. 
So where are you from? I'm from New Jersey originally. Okay. So New Jersey to California. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a big move. Mm-hmm. And had that young dream as you did. I heard in, in one of your episodes. Yeah. Like, kid. California is so interesting. I feel like it really is a place where two things. You could really lose yourself, but also mm-hmm. really find yourself as well, yeah, which is what happened to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, I can't, you can't explain California unless you've lived there, honestly. It's a place for dreamers. Yeah. The people, the energy, the vibe. It's just, there's always something going on. I mean, there's no doubt that's where, you know, your opportunity came from is just being, being there. And that's what I said in my story. If you didn't hear, I was like, I don't know why or what I'm going to do, but I just know I need to be there. Like, I, no one's going to come knocking on my door in Oklahoma, where I'm from, and be like, do you want some opportunity? You know, so That's I'm right. all about just taking risk and just putting yourself in the position where you need to be for something to happen and not waiting for something to happen before exactly. you jump in. So exactly. awesome. Yeah. Wow. So just from the get-go, you have known what you wanted to do. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's a little strange when I think about it now. I'm 38 and I look back like, really? I can't remember another time like wanting to do other things. But yeah, here I am. <laughs> Has it always been like a, I mean, have you had your ups and downs with it as far as, you know, success is usually not a straight line up. So sure. Yeah. obviously you've said you've had your moments where like you, you doubted it for a little bit, but you always push through. I doubted the, the, enormity of the the work that would it would take to get there the education working for free you know at one point I was I was doing my unpaid internships and ironically working in a bar at night right (laughs) which was interesting because I was already kind of in the substance abuse field during that first internship so it was a real grind for a long time but professionally no, you know, what's been interesting is, you know, I became a mom five years ago and I have mm-hmm. two daughters. So that has certainly changed things. But the uh, gratitude I have to have flexibility and to be able to use this part of my brain that I really appreciate while doing some private practice and some fun media stuff like here today and working part time at different treatment mm-hmm. centers. Um, I'm really grateful to uh, have all that flexibility. Yeah, definitely. So you said you're really grateful. And then I also heard you say something about getting there. So did you always have in your mind where you wanted to get as far as your professional career? I did. I always wanted the doctorate. I always wanted the ability to choose what I wanted to do. I love school. Well, thankfully, I was in it uh, for long enough. So I could teach. I could do private practice. I can, I just have so many options. So that definitely was my goal was to be able to choose and not have to just take what I can get. Yes. A little bit of that freedom while doing what you love. That is the best of both worlds for sure. Well, it is, it's no question that you've definitely worked hard and gotten to where you are based on your bio and everything you have going on. A little bit from your website I saw is you say, it is my personal philosophy that self-integration and self-esteem are key to components of to mental health. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So something I've noticed since working in the field is the split. 
you know, I noticed it in myself. I think most people can relate to this idea of there's this one side that I want to show the world that's high functioning, that presents well. And then there's this other side of me that I hide, whether it's my emotional world, my shame, my feelings of not being good enough, fear. And through our life experiences, that split can be greater for some than for others. For sure, there's a spectrum around that. But I found, particularly while working in addiction, that when I see people love the side of them that just can't cope that needs the booze or needs whatever it is. And that side of them deserves really as much love as the side that presents well. When I see that happening, I've seen people just fully accept who they are and the amount of pressure goes down, right? Because we're no longer working so hard to navigate the split within us. But once we integrate those pieces, I've seen people sleep well, feel well, feel better. So that's the integration piece. And self-esteem, you know, it's, I don't know what we are without our self-worth. You know, I know you're a fitness professional, right? So if we have the self-worth, we're worth the gym membership. We're worth the, the doctor's appointments, the checkups. We're worth going to, to therapy. We're worth all the things, eating well. Positioning ourselves in a place where we could achieve our dreams and actualize the things that are in our head that maybe people from where we're from or from where we grew up, they're like, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't correlate that to self-worth. But once you do work on that piece, and it's so easy to lose it, mm-hmm. it's so easy to lose it over time, just little by One of my favorite quotes is little by little a little becomes a lot and that could be both good and bad. So I think self-worth, achieving high self-worth is the ultimate goal. And I, if you just worked on that, everything else would really fall into place. And like, I, like, you know, people lose it from time to time. I had it very high self-esteem. And then when a lot of things started coming to the surface of my life that I needed to work on or work through, it became very disempowering a little bit. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not worth everything I've had or do or what I look like, you know? So I definitely think it's something that you don't just attain one time and then it's forever stuck with you. That relationship you know, a toxic relationship can be something that can really knock it down. You know, Brene Brown talks about the two tapes. It's like if we get out of the tape of like, well, we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And let's say you talk yourself out of that. Then there's like, well, who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. So we get kind of kicked again. Um, and that's a tough spot. And it really takes a lot of tenacity to to go for something that is scary maybe not common from, you know, where you grew up or whatever. Yeah. And if you really, if you could push through that, mm. then we have just even the chance still. Exactly. Exactly. Would you say you, I'm assuming in your line of work, do you see this more of being geared towards females or males, or do you think it's a combination of both? It's a, it's a combination of both. We have, I think the shame is there. It's just, it's, got disguised a little bit differently right you know even 
as a woman, as a young mom, I remember thinking, ah, that's just such, you know, bull that if, if my house isn't put together, that it falls on me. And then my husband's like, well, if we don't have a house that falls on me. Now that's very traditional kind of. Now one can win. <laughs> yeah, but still, you know, even in, in today's world with two professionals and independent, you know, people, those kind those things still come up. So yeah, I think both, both men and women. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned or you mentioned that you became a mom five years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that I'm currently pregnant. I just heard that. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah. So I'm so excited, and I think you know the answer that I always have kept saying when people ask me, well, you know, how are you feeling? What are you most excited about? And honestly, I could say that I'm most excited about just integrating everything I've learned emotionally and mentally, and into my child that's like mm-hmm. the number one thing that I'm most excited about it's not about yeah I don't know it's not about play dates or vacations or houses or things or or you know or all the toys mm-hmm. or all the clothes it's like we want to live in an RV and travel the world and like just give our child experiences and so Amen. that's yeah that is the most thing I, that is the thing I'm most excited about so I don't yeah. know if like that changed you in any way it changed or, help, or helped you with way. your work did it help you with your work Tremendously. I have learned so many hard things about myself since being a psychologist and then from being a mother. And even my therapist on Monday was like, you know, you're breaking this this pattern. We were talking about emotional space, right? And I had a, a wonderful childhood and a lot of love, but not a, a really a great emotional vocabulary. Never mind a tool belt. Like it, the words weren't even spoken, right? So when I hold a space for my kids to feel their feelings, it really is like, I mean, it could choke me up right now. It's powerful. Oh, that gave me chills. I'm excited. You and I sound very similar. Yeah, just very similar as far as going after our dreams. And like you said, just I had a great childhood as well. Like, no, I wouldn't. I didn't complain until I was about 30 when I realized, (laughs) oh, maybe I didn't have everything I could have gotten, you know. So, but yeah, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, and their parents yeah, did the best they could with the tools they had. Exactly, exactly. Oh, so the, then you got to get into the forgiveness piece and giving yourself grace for for not only them, but for yourself, for them not knowing what to teach you and then you not knowing what you weren't taught. <laughs> and so yeah. really, st- if we know what we weren't taught, that's already, we're there. Yep. Right. We can go our whole lives and then and then our children's lives. And this can go on for generations and generations. I had this thought the other day. I'm like, wow, I really feel like self-regulation is one of the most, if not the most transferable, unspoken things for generations and generations. It's like ultimate love to me. Yeah. That is like ultimate love that you can give a child. Mm. not all the things that you look back and be like, I'm so glad I went on that vacation and I had those clothes and we drove that car. We had the huge house. So doesn't matter. Mm. And even them, they don't, they don't care if they just want your time and attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Which love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we also have all the things. So it's such a balance and, and I'm always learning every day. Seriously. Mm, that's so awesome. So you are a clinical psychologist out in California, and you part-time work, correct? Part-time at Carrera? 
Okay. So Carrera, an ultra luxury treatment center for addiction that blends wellness and recovery. I love that. It does attract some high client, high, I'm sorry. It does attract some high prior. (laughs) Can't talk. It does attract some high profile clients, celebrities and, and all the things who, you know, obviously they seek privacy and they, they want like the top, top tier personalized care. And I feel like there is such a wide gap um, between each person's experience when it comes to their recovery journey. But what can you tell us about the similarities of the recovery journey of a celebrity and then of a normal person? Because I feel like we can kind of get in this like, oh, well, of course, that they're going to get the best treatment. Like they have different issues than I do. But at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have the same feelings and emotions. So what is your experience working with all the different kinds of people that you've worked with? Yes. And even to this day, I work um, with the treatment center out in Riverside called Page Wellness that takes mostly insurance clients. So it's none of the cash pay. And so to answer your question, the journey does look different in that, particularly around aftercare. Because aftercare for someone with the funding and the resources can look like the personal trainer, the therapy that's, you know, two, three times a week, even to start um, a sober companion, all of all of that, which really helps. Right. It really does help. So so aftercare looks a lot different. However, when we're talking about weeks one and two, the goals are really stabilization. It is raw. And there are a lot more similarities in the earlier stages of recovery than there are later. Almost if you think about the development of humans, right? And infancy, we're all pretty similar. Like you could like give someone an age, you know, and you're pretty much around, hopefully, you know, if all everything else is, is on point, you're around the same. And it's similar to that rawness, that emotional rawness um, of a lot of the shame comes up from the wreckage that usually transpires prior to entering treatment. There's usually some event that takes place or something that makes you say, okay, this is now an emergency. Um, Do you call that a rock bottom or? Sure. What's your lingo? (laughs) I say rock bottom. Usually people have to hit Even within that, you'll see various stages of change on day one. You'll have the people that came in because that's like externally motivated because my spouse, yada, yada, because my job, yada, yada, because I got the DUI. Even someone whose medical doctor is like, your liver enzymes are off. Like, this is not, you're not going to live to see 50. And as deeply personal as that feels, as deeply personal as our relationships feel and our jobs feel, Those are actually external motivations. The internal motivation is, I want this. I need this. I am am so far from the person I want to be, and I need this change in my life. Now, the prognosis there on the ladder is, and I have goosebumps just saying it. When you see lights come on like that, it's like, what? Yes, right? Like, that's kind of necessary because it's hard work. Yeah. I rarely have ever encountered someone that just comes to that realization without something usually detrimental happening. Sure. I mean, it's very rare for someone just wakes up one day and they're like, 
I think I'm going to start doing some inner work here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's and the I, sad I part. And I think that's yeah. really what like, a mission and goal of mine is, you know, to to just provoke your thoughts, to to look at the inner healing you may need without the rock bottom and without the job loss, without the toxic relationship that ruins your self-esteem for years, you know? So it's like, how can we prevent any of this from happening and just taking one major thing that might be the most prominent right now. Like if I'm trying to like even talk to someone, I'm like, what is like a reoccurring thought that you have mostly every day about yourself that's negative? And like, that's one thing that you should really look into. So I think, yeah, for me, it's just like even doing this podcast, it's like just provoking your thoughts to look at the inner healing you may need without having to hit that rock bottom first. Yeah. And the, here's the tricky part is what we're talking about that the the consequences, the playing out the tape, how is this going to end up? That's all very much the, our prefrontal cortex, right? It's the executive functioning of our brain. And depending on how deep the addiction is, that part of the brain kind of goes offline. And we're operating really in a primitive midbrain I don't want to say possessed, but it could feel that way in the sense of it's like driven by appetite. The brain thinks it needs it to survive. And this is important to share with, you know, let's say the mother who's like, my son came in and took my wedding ring, my grandmother's ring and pawned it for what? And just is so devastated by that poor choice. And I have to remind that mother, you know, this this is awful. It is. I validate that. However, your son most likely didn't stop and say, hmm, how is mom going to feel if I do this? It is just like go mode. If, you know, if I don't do this, I'm not going to survive. So that's tricky, right? So if we measure and if we're counting on our executive functioning to, to, to get, uh, to kind of nip it before it gets bad, you really, there's a sweet spot there before it can kind of get to a place of you need, you know, it's not that easy to access that part of your brain. Yeah. Going back to that story, a unaware person, say the mother, would look at that decision or their child and they are quick to want to just correct their behavior without understanding why they made that decision. So when right. I think of like kids, you know, acting out and you get a spanking automatically it's like that's not really gonna do much like you have to understand why they are acting out like what okay. triggered them what you know talk to them and sit them down be like why did you just do that and like get out as much as you can instead of just going into an automatic timeout automatic spanking like really try to understand the mm -hmm. behavior of the child and I don't even have kids yet I'm like I feel like I know this <laughs> And, and also, like when I, every day I'm reminded, I'm modeling for them. I'm constantly modeling for them. So, so what does the spanking say? Okay, I, I can't, I can't deal with this. Physical, the, the physical aggression's okay, right? And even the timeout, I'm going to withdraw myself from you if you're in a, like a high need state. That's the message. If you haven't already, 
I want to introduce you to TN Dickinson's, a brand families have trusted for gentle and effective first aid and skincare for over 150 years. I was blown away by the research I did on their products and how they can naturally heal wounds and tears. I was specifically looking on what to use naturally for postpartum pain and I came across their witch hazel product. Witch hazel is a 100% natural astringent and anti-inflammatory, gentle enough for daily use for any first aid needs on the face and body. During postpartum recovery, it is most helpful for treating pain and inflammation that comes from swelling in your perineum and this natural remedy can be a godsend for all of your perineum needs. You can use it to cleanse, soothe, and relieve oily, irritated, red, damaged, and blemished skin. There are so many other products to choose from at their website, which I will be shopping at. Learn more at www.tndickinsons.com. That's T-N-D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N-S.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, definitely. Going through a, an attachment series right now with my on-staff therapist that we do. And yeah, that just reminds me of, of the attachment styles. And it's like a timeout kind of represents um, like an avoidant attachment, like how you can really portray that onto your child of like, okay, when something happens, we don't deal with it and we just ice each other out. There's silent treatment. Well, so anyway, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, that what? goes back into attachment styles and how yeah. to create those three insecure attachment styles as opposed to the secure attached where like even I was just talking to Tyler and my fiance but we were just talking about like he was like what do you like want out of like you know raising a a kid basically and it's like I never want to get so far to a point where resentment starts to come in it's like I always want to make sure we're on the same page at all times if that makes sense it's like we talk everything through in the moment we don't let too much time go go by where there could be a grudge or there could be just misinformation or lack of communication so that's just one of the things I'm really excited to work on is just like in each moment just I I don't even know how to explain it I, I, I see it in my head of just being like on the same page at all times with your child or Whoever it is, with your significant yeah. other or whatever. He's paying attention, being present. Right. Get caught up in the laundry and the messes and, you know, and wanting just the meal preps and all the things. Yeah. Don't have hands, especially when they're really little. When are you due, by the way? The first week of March. Oh, yeah. so exciting. Yeah. So great. A little um, boy. Uh, a little boy. Uh, yeah. It's like, how do I raise a strong, confident, 
bold man, but also he's like very kind and compassionate at the same time. Tricky balance, right? <laughs> Emotionally attuned, this permission to cry. Yes, he's he's going to learn how to cry. I know that. He's going to learn how to cry on purpose. <laughs> so going back to, I know you worked, you know, primarily with substance abuse so at the beginning and even obviously with addiction and working at Carrera. What if, if any links have you found between trauma and addiction? Yes. Trauma certainly complicates everything. From a, from even from a neuroanatomical perspective, if our brain is flooded with the, all the fear chemicals that come through and high stress cortisol and, and all of the things, it alters our brain chemistry. It truly does. It's important that we have a lot of grace with ourselves. We are hardwired to protect ourselves from pain. So if we do find something that can quickly, consistently ease that feeling, we are really susceptible to doing it again. And the brain, like, it is both lazy and forgets nothing. It's like, can you pick one? Right? Like, it's like, oh, you did that for me? Great. I'll see you again tomorrow. And then even there was this wild study that came out of Chicago where this guy had been sober for like 30 years off of cocaine. And they linked him up to like the EEG and had him in a van and drove him 30 years, three decades later down to the part of town where he used to score his cocaine. And like his heart rate went up, his pupils dilated. He had a hole. So like the brain was already like firing off the dopamine and, and the things all that time later. That is crazy. I've never yes. heard of anything like that. Wow. Yes. Yes. So I don't know if that answered your question. To go back to the question is, um, we are, because of our experience of, of pain through the trauma, we are, I would say, more vulnerable to just wanting to feel better. And and it takes a lot of hard work, right? The only way out is in. And if we were given the programming that, you know, let's say we even convince ourselves we don't have the time, we don't have the it's, I'm terrified to open the valve. What could happen? I have to function. Um, you know, what it'll require to keep the valve closed, valve closed would be like if it was a substance or whatever. Even though addiction, by the way, isn't only substance, right? It could be sex. It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It can be exercise. Anything that triggers that reward system in the brain. Um, and some of the other ones, right? Like exercise, for example, great, positive. You get a lot of positive results. You get a lot of positive feedback. You feel great. But it could still put us in a zone of avoidance. Mm, yep, exercise can definitely be an addiction. <laughs> the over, over, you know, stimulating on macros and what I'm eating and counting calories and counting my food and yeah, that's that's definitely addiction. I love what you said when you said the only way out is in. Mm. That is like the definition of inner healing self awareness. That mm. is amazing. I think one of the first things you said after I asked the question was trying to get that feeling trying to make trying to attain that feeling what what feeling do you think most people are trying to attain when they are 
engaging in those addicting behaviors? It depends. Referring to the trauma, I would say release. So it's relief, whether that's Vietnam or um, even a euphoria. So people use drugs and alcohol for all sorts of reasons, right? Some um, want to feel some things. It can start off pretty thrill-seeking. Some people want to feel nothing. Perhaps that's in the trauma piece. If you have high anxiety and your and your baseline is a little bit charged, they want to take it down a notch. I've also came across the athlete who was, you know, didn't necessarily have a traumatic childhood, had tremendous success, got injured, wanted to keep, keep playing, was prescribed opioids, and and you know how that story goes, right? So sometimes people do it to maintain. It can even be performance enhancing. So. I'm sure you know in the fitness world, that's definitely around there. So why people start can really vary. Some of it can be for fun and some of it can be very dark. But if it continues on and gets to a point where you say, okay, I'm not going to do this this week, but you do it anyway. Or if you don't do it, then you have some sort of withdrawal symptoms happening if you get to the point where your tolerance just to achieve like the same feeling that you did has has changed, those are really the red flags that it's entering a problematic zone. Mm, definitely. Like you said, you could do it to feel something or do it to feel nothing. That yeah. It's different. Depends. Exactly. Yeah. So it has been said that addiction has four different causes, whether it be one, two, or a combination of all four. And I just want to briefly dive into each one because I feel like people are so quick to judge someone for being addicted to to anything as though they are like choosing this addiction and they can't stop. And like we just said, it could go back to trauma. It could just, yeah, it just could be obviously not in their full control. So the the four causes that can be within addiction are just one a plain chemical imbalance obviously mm-hmm. um i'll maybe dive into a, a story about that later someone close to me two events of the past you have not reconciled just bottled up pent up whether it's guilt shame resentment all the things current conditions you can't cope with obviously the world the economy how bad 2020 was, stuff like that. And then four of the things you believe that aren't true. So, I mean, I feel like you could really have a little bit of each one of these (laughs) at any given moment in your life. Definitely. Definitely. The chemical imbalance piece, I see it most common. Well, two, I would say most common. I see a lot of with ADHD and also bipolar. And there's bipolar one, bipolar two. Bipolar two is a little bit more of a gentle version of bipolar one, which is extreme swings of mania and depression. And bipolar two is a little more subtle, hypomania, some depression. So people can start playing pharmacist, right? If if you're super high, maybe it's too much and you want to tone it. Do you want to soothe a little bit? If someone's manic, you can't sleep, right? So there's all sorts of reasons why people would want to alter that state. Same thing with the depression. So if you have, not to mention what's complicated with this is bipolar disorder usually in males would be like 18 to 24, females a little earlier. So you can be living your life and then coupled with those being kind of college-aged years, you're moving out of your house, so life transition, 
there's a lot of pretty ex- acceptable substance use and experimentation and even binge drinking could be seen normal during those years. So you put all of that together. It's like the perfect storm. Yeah, definitely. And all those things, like if you're in college, that's just what you do and not knowing the really yeah. the underlying issue. This might be a little controversial, but you know, with all of those things, all of the diseases, the diagnosis, like, I mean, how many are truly from life experiences and how many are an actual just a chemical imbalance somewhere along the way in your life? I'm not sure of the question. So like people that have the organic diagnosable versus maybe not, they kind of just, it got out of control. Kind of just more so like, where does bipolar come from? How does one person get it and another person not? So is it more like a a very natural, like just over time from life experiences causing and the trauma causing chemical imbalance? Or can someone just like almost be born or very early on? Yeah. um, I obtain a chemical imbalance. You know what I mean? Growth. Mm. I've growth. I really have. Back to that first job that I got. You know, it's just really backwards thing in the field of psychology that the lower, least experienced and low, least educated that you are, the the most severe cases you're dealing with. And that ironically, the more education experience you have, the, your patients tend to be a little higher functioning. So there I was making $11.27 an hour as at 20 years old, having patients with duly diagnosed with severe mental illness and substance abuse. And this, never forget this one guy, handsome guy, was a dentist, married, and suddenly at 24 started hearing this voice in his head called the general. And it was like his life completely declined. So that's an example of this organic component into, into the mental illness. I've also seen cases where it, a traumatic event happens and it almost like Oh, like awakens the gene, if if you will, or because of the amygdala's response to the event, there's there is a chemical change. There's people who had something happen and then were diagnosed with schizophrenia after. Now that's a severe mental illness. That really truly is. So, and you makes you wonder. Well, if the event, the precipitating event, that trauma didn't occur, did the would the person not have succumbed to to such a mental illness? That one, that one hits me personally. That's when I said the chemical imbalance, that's kind of what I was referring to. Someone in my life, when they got much older, I was much older, had a, went through a very traumatic experience, like literally could have changed their chemical imbalance. Like it was like Mm -hmm. a a natural disaster, basically. That wasn't like a car wreck or anything. It was just, it was a natural disaster and just slowly started declining mentally, was diagnosed with paranoia, schizophrenia, in and out of mental hospitals, like something I was like, what? We were like, what is going on? You know? So yeah, so that's kind of, but like you said, you kind of, you kind of made made my my brain go a little bit when you said it could have awakened something that was actually underlying this whole time. Wow. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. Let's take, for example, the same, the same event, the same traumatic event. Let's say it's like you get mugged. Someone comes up to you, bops you on the head, takes your wallet and runs. If you were run, if you were walking through a dangerous neighborhood and you were somewhat, your, your mind's like in a preparatory state. I'm sure your adrenaline's going. You could probably feel a little, you know, sweatiness in your palms. Your pupils are dilated. You could run a little bit faster. 
So let's say the event takes place there. The likelihood of PTSD in this event is less than, let's say you were in your own backyard, the comfort of your home guards down. Same level of violence, exact same thing. Guy comes up, bops you in the head, takes your wallet, runs. But because you were shocked and in, like so taken aback in a space that you felt was safe, the chances of more psychological impact in that second example is greater. Wow, that does make sense. With, with, yeah, with overdose, if someone is, you, is planning to use the like versus if they use spontaneously, the risk of overdose when using spontaneously is greater because the brain is already producing metabolizing chemicals and things if you're plotting to, you know. That makes so much sense. What about if you've got a piece of news and it, you're like, <gasps> like you were just so shocked. How, does that, what would you say about that? Does that affect you? Yeah. Or just as much? Absolutely can. Absolutely can. You know, it's, let's take some of the, you know, some of the most heinous things that could happen to someone. Let's say a sexual assault occurs. If this occurs from someone you know versus someone you don't know, it's the impact is different. They say that if it's like a family member, someone you thought was a safe person, it breaks us more than saying, you know, this is horrible. I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Some random act of violence. You can kind of like still have that locus of control be somewhat outside. But if it's someone who's supposed to protect us. That's really very cool. interesting. Wow. That's really cool. I was asking just, you know, the the moment I found out about my mom passing was like, I, I just have always wondered if that did something in that moment and made things yeah. different after you know it may have yeah that shock absolutely yeah changed you chemically and spiritually and emotionally Mm -hmm. interesting all right i have some homework to do thank you dr (laughs) Steele. so what do you think is truly the key to solving mental health what do you think the first step Mm. would be Mm. wouldn't the world just be so much better place if everyone just did the work Yes. And I always take a moment to appreciate um, that it's we have like a hierarchy of needs. And if some of our basic needs aren't being met, it's it's like in a way, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm kind of spitballing here, but there it still feels like a bit of a luxury. I'll never forget I was in Topanga Canyon when I when I was early in my early years of, of moving to California. And there was a woman at a cafe that was just, you know, had such great intention, right? She was like, you know, everyone would just meditate every morning. And I'm like, you're so sweet and so out of touch. <laughs> right? Because if you're struggling, you know, with where, you know, if paycheck to paycheck and da-da-da. You know, I just want to take a moment to appreciate that, that it's not so easy for most people to, whether they don't have health insurance or even a lot of the people, even my colleague, a lot of cash pay, if you don't have the means to do so, um, or even if you're just in survival mode, that's not necessarily. So yes, the world would be a wonderful place. Um, But I just want to hold a space for that, not, not really being attainable for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. I feel like 
that might have been a reason that I didn't engage in it as as soon as I could have because it was like I just felt like I was just in survival mode just get through the day get through the week get through the month the year you said it it really is a luxury to be able to wake up and you meditate and you do your journaling and you do your yoga Mm -hmm. and not everyone has that time or not everyone has that ability and yeah so definitely that's great that you pointed that out yeah Last is your question still, you know. Yeah, like, no, that was great. Mental health. Was that the question? Yeah, just, oh. I mean, if you, yeah, if, if you were in a room full of 10 people and they all had some sort of mental health issue, whatever it may be, when they all were like, what is, what can I do right now that will put me on the path to solving this? What would you say would be the first step to think about how much we resist discomfort so maybe it's being willingness to sit through the discomfort like another cutesy little psycho term is what we resist persist it just still comes a knocking so if we could just start with like it's okay to not be okay i listened to your episode on distraction that it's that right if you're just if if you're willing to to sit with it. Um, I think that's a great, great first step. Yeah, that's great. That's a good answer. I love it. I 100% agree. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you know, the cliche line, you got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. Yeah. Just a little bit of sacrifice. You know, your world might turn upside down for just a moment, but it's not going to stay that way forever. And I think we're just so scared to leave our sense of security, even if the security is not even secure. Or it's not even safe, but it's our security that we just don't want to give up because there's a slight chance of what if it doesn't work out? What are people going to say? What are people going to think? And it's just, yeah, so much fear, but get past the peer, get past the fear, push past Mm -hmm. discomfort. Mm -hmm. And truly, that was a great answer. So the last question I have for you in both your professional and personal life what is one thing you know for sure so i call this our megaphone moment mm-hmm. and you had a megaphone to the world and you could only give one tip and everyone was like looking up at you and they're like okay whatever dr Steele tells me i'm gonna do what would that one thing be ah you know and it's, it's personal and professional so i have like a whole gamut of of ages in my world and i would simply say universally ask for help you don't have to be alone true at all you can ask for help whoever that may be Mm, i love that that's perfect i love it well thank you so much that was an enlightening conversation again thank you for your time and you're very lovely and i hope to keep up with you and hope everything goes well good luck with good luck with this final trimester and and wishing you the best Thank you. I'm going to keep you updated. Please do. On on the baby and how we're how we're teaching teaching him to cry. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, thank you so All much. Right. Thank you. Okay, bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.